Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. We are the dogs because we defend government schools. We are the defenders of government schools, D-O-G-S. That's why we call the Dogs Program. We've got a patch program this week. We've got so much to talk about, as we do every week, because state schools need defending. Um, government schools need defending because they're under attack from all sorts of places. We often talk about the attacks from various religious bodies who don't think secular education is a good thing for the kids of Australia, and so therefore they set up their own education systems to rip their kids out of the state education system and put them into private schools. We often talk about attacks from what we would call, I don't know, the free marketeers who invade Australia and say that private is good, public is bad, so therefore you should privatise all education. And that will make it better. We'll be talking about that in some detail today because there's been a very interesting report come out about that particular topic. Um, in fact, it's called The People's Inquiry into Privatisation. It's a very interesting report which we'll be dealing with just in a minute because we've got a new press release. Press release number 723. That's right, press release 723. Almost as many dogs press releases as there are episodes of EastEnders, I reckon. That's a lot because we've been around for a while here on the radio I'm on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. Um, but for the rest of the program, of course, we have our new State Schools Are Great Schools segment, and we'll be talking about a school that's so great it doesn't e- quite exist yet. It's just about to be built, but I thought it would be interesting to share what the school is going to be, um, a state school, a new state school in Victoria is going to be like down on Docklands. And, of course, we'll be discussing various other things. Jean will be phoning in, our, our dog's raving reporter. She'll be phoning in later in the program to talk about um, what Mr Birmingham's doing up in Canberra. He's set up a new committee um, to oversee the funding of all schools in Australia and its makeup, of course, is crucial to how things will go into the future. Because Birmingham, um, Birmingham, as the Federal Education Minister, Liberal Federal Education Minister, has, I think, finally woken up to the absolute schmozzle and mess that's going on in education funding in Australia and he's doing his best to fix it, and he's coming up, coming up against some very powerful enemies of education, and you'll never guess who they might be, the free marketeers and the religious lobbies. But we'll be coming back to that. Um, but for now, I want to talk about this whole idea of privatisation, not just in education, but in the world and in the whole thing that which we call Australia. Now, for a generation... Um, the millennials, we call them, and I don't know who's who's Dale. Sorry, we've got Dale here in the studio. So, <laughs> is there a generation after the millennials yet? 
I'm not sure. I don't know. I, don't I mean, think... there's Gen X, Gen Y, Millennials. Oh, God, are Millennials breeding already? Oh, I assume so. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's going to happen. I suppose. Oh, we sound like old people, don't we? I know. It's Sorry. Terrible. I, I, I don't know. I mean, if, if, um, yeah, if anyone knows, um, yeah, just contact the station and, and leave us a note and um, we'll, put, we'll put it to air next week. Yeah. Find out what the next generation is supposed to. Anyway, <laughs> privatisation um, as... Privatisation as God, privatisation as the way you do government has been around for over a generation. There are people who are born, lived and died in Australia who have no idea what a state electricity service is. <laughs> there are people who have born and lived and, and, and are now having children who have no idea what a state bank is. Um, because privatisation, of course, is, has been God for so long that the, the, the people have now forgotten, forgotten. And to remind people, there's, there's been this new very interesting thing called the privatisation report. It's a people's inquiry. And to read from our press release now, our politicians, chattering under the man-made hill in Canberra, are lost in the mists of history. Many voters have left these representatives on the new oligarchy in their, in, their, in, their, in their little hobbit hole up in Canberra, far behind, as they spout meaningless concepts of globalisation, privatisation and the failed neoliberal ideology. No wonder the polit- political landscape is now so fragile, beset with talk of ongoing leadership spills every, every other month. Supporters of public education are well aware of the groundswell from below as parents and public school students, as well as TAFE customers, inverted commas, are on the receiving end of the government's failed privatisation agenda when it comes to education. It's time the politicians actually caught up with what's going on. And there's been a report written called The People's Inquiry into Privatisation. It was launched last Monday. The report itself refers to, and I'm now going to quote from the report because I think this is wonderful stuff. This is stuff if you're young, you've never heard before. You've, if, what I'm about to say, if you are under 25, is beyond your lived experience. If you're older, then you'll have some understanding, and a visceral in your guts understanding about what I'm talking about. But if you're under 25, what I'm talking about is actually history because you have no idea what it feels like to live in a world where privatisation doesn't run everything. Because historically in Australia, during the 19th century, and in the first nine decades of the 20th century, so that's up until 1990, the Australian people used their collective wealth to create a fabric, a fabric of publicly owned infrastructure and services that built our nation. This resulted in public banks, public schools, public technical training institutions, public university, public hospitals, public transport networks, public power generators and public social services of many kinds. And these were expressions of the very democratic idea that the surplus of our economy should be invested to serve everyone and be answerable to everyone. They may have been far from perfect, but they were extremely popular. After all, they worked. Then, from the mid to late 1980s onwards, the leaders of Australia, our leaders, from all parties, began to pull this fabric apart. Some industries are already largely gone from public control. For instance, the electricity industry. Many are now in the throes of privatisation, like 
at the moment. Aged care, looking after old people, is in the throes of privatisation. Child care, hospitals, child protection services, disability services, private prisons, and of course, as dogs listeners will be all too aware, private vocational training facilities. Others are now in Australia on the chopping block, like science, the CSIRO and such like, like the concept of privatised provision of the Land Titles Office, privatised public trustees, privatised, of course, roads, privatised ports, privatised air services, privatised sports and recreation grounds. Yes, that's right, fee-for-service oval down the road. And yet, others are being lined up by hungry contractors and ideologues, like private policing, and as we already have in Australia, in, in, in large part, private contractors dealing with defence. This privatisation was done for many reasons. Some of those reasons, like the desire for greater efficiency, are understandable if not accurate. Others, like ideological fashion, are not. Mainly, though, it was done to improve the look of state and federal government's balance sheets, something we can now see has actually largely failed. Indeed, in many areas of service provision, privatisation has produced far inferior services at a far greater cost. One example among many highlights of what has gone wrong is, of course, vocational education, where public-provided TAFE colleges provided millions of Australians with skills and upward mobility at an affordable cost while meeting the expanding needs of employers. Today's privatised vocational training system is shrouded in scandal, often leaves students with mountains of debt, for poorly taught courses for which few jobs exist. Worse, it has become a hunting ground for dishonest business people, preying on the weak to gather up poorly administered public subsidies from a great public institution that promoted upward mobility to a privatised producer of misery in just one generation. Similar problems that have undermined the once great TAFE system in Australia infect other privatised services to varying degrees. The Australian people know this and they want it stopped. And the report into privatisation attempts to explain why. Now the report sets out a few principles and consequent recommendations. The principles are listed below. Now amongst these principles are dear millennials, that is people under a certain age. We're going to use words you probably haven't heard before seriously um, in any debate from a politician or any, any proper policy debate. Because the first word that I'm going to use in describing the principles that this report lays out is the word citizen. Now citizen is not a customer. A citizen is not a consumer. A citizen is not a producer. A citizen is a very complex thing, which we probably don't have time to go in here. But if you're over a certain age, if you're over a certain age, that's a word that would make sense to you because a citizen has rights and responsibilities all at the same time. They own Australia, a small part, and part of the price of that ownership is their contribution 
to the whole. Now, citizens have a right to well-resourced and capable governments delivering quality public services paid through by a just tax system. That's a principle. All citizens should have access to these services irrespective of how much they can, on any given day, pay. Particularly around privatisation decisions, democracy requires transparency, openness, participation and accountability between governments and its citizens. Now these are principles. Two, quality rather than cost is the best measure to judge who has the capacity to deliver a service. Let's unpack that. I think that's really interesting. If you're going to set up a power company and they're going to say, we will provide you power, inverted commas, for the cheapest possible cost, and then the quality of that power is very, very poor, then you say, well, no, we won't choose you because no, you only provide it between 4 and 4.30 on a Sunday afternoon. And yes, that's cheap for everyone, but that's because people aren't getting any power. So, yes, no, let's not choose you. So quality rather than cost is the most and best measure to judge. So point one, accountability. Point two, quality. Point three, privatisation should not be presented as providing a greater choice to citizens when it removes the choice to continue using existing government services, as has occurred in some provision of disability services. Because with the whole NDIS thing and provision of disability services, and I know I'm straying from government schools here at the moment, but I think this is an important point. Yeah, if you're given greater choice but you are no longer capable of using what you currently have, yes, you're given choices but none of them are as good as what you have, then that's no choice at all. Now, for a consumer, you can argue the point, but for a citizen, that's unarguable because a citizen has rights and responsibilities. Also, privatisation, this is point four, should not be seen as a means of making savings by lowering the quality of services provided or by reducing the wages and employment conditions for workers. Now, we know, and you hear it all the time, that people who are interested in privatising things and who then privatise and then run those privatised public institutions do not have a responsibility to the public, they have a responsibility to their shareholders. And so therefore, if they can reduce the conditions and wages of the people they employ, then they will do that because they are not responsible to the citizens of Australia. They are responsible just to their shareholders, which is a very different thing again. There are several other points, but I'd like to go on to the recommendations. But basically they're saying what we've always said here in the dogs. If you want to do something, it has to be accountable first, effective second, and efficient third. There is a hierarchy, because if you just prioritise efficiency, you don't necessarily have means, it's, that doesn't mean it's effective and it certainly doesn't mean it's accountable. In fact, accountability and efficiency, sometimes you can have one or the other, but you can't have both. And if it's a public provision of service, then accountability is what's important. I'll be returning with the recommendations on this quite interesting report after these messages. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit, our education is not for profit. 
You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. There are, there are, I've been talking about just before the break there, um, a new interesting report, which is the People's Inquiry into Privatisation. And I've been talking about what it is that they demand from public services, and now I'd like to talk about what their recommendations are based upon those principles. Firstly, they call for a moratorium on privatisation, just a moratorium, until greater regulatory mechanisms and proper policy frameworks can be delivered around public services. Public services. Now, I'm not saying that we have to make a corner store a public service, because it's not. But we are talking about water. We are talking about power. And we're talking about the most important public service that any government can be responsible for, which is education, because that's your future. So recommendation, moratorium on privatisation. And if they are going to privatise anything new, then they should provide details of the benefits and the sources of the savings and the evaluated costs. So don't just do it and say, it's private, so it's good. We have to, as a public, understand what's going on. Also, assess the benefit, because at the moment, they don't. (laughs) Also, define minimum qualifications for new employees prior to privatising. So, for instance, if you're going to privatise a training college, then who's going to be doing the teaching? What are their qualifications? Private providers are well known for saying, oh, we don't really need teachers to do teaching. We've got online stuff. It's cheaper anyway. Anyway, we'll make more money that way. Bugger the students. Also, recommend prohibit any company that has previously evaded tax or broken the law from taking over any public services. So don't get criminals involved. Because at the moment, we do. And where there is a privatised service, governments must take back the regulatory space and set the rules of the delivery of public service. Fair enough, because at the moment we don't do that. Also, governments must continue to employ sufficient qualified staff to evaluate the quality and competence of the service that's being provided. So at the moment, yeah, oh, we don't want all this red tape. You need the red tape if you're going to privatise something because they're not doing it for your benefit, they're doing it for their benefit, and so therefore you have to watch them because they're sneaky buggers. And they say, well, it's your fault for not watching me when they rip us off. They do, don't they, don't they? They say, oh, yeah, of course I was going to rip you off because you weren't looking. I mean, we're a company. That's what we do. Yeah, we're we're beholden to shareholders. shareholders. And so we we, we had to do that. Otherwise, our shareholders would be grumpy. I mean, if you didn't put the regulation in place, then... It's hmm. not our fault. I mean, you know, have you heard about the power thing with the gold plating? Tell me. What happens is that they set up a particular framework where power companies would get more than 100% rebate every time they put up a new power pole. Hmm. So that was just a kink in the system. Hmm. So when they got the contract and they said, well, the idea was that when private companies usually get stuff that's been privatised, they run down the asset and say, oh, the asset's all run down, we've gone bankrupt, buy it. We've just made, you know, hmm. X number of hundreds of millions of dollars over the last 10 years, but oh, well, too bad. Like, for instance, you know, rail services. Oh, we privatised the rail service. Oh, no, the tracks are all one out, buy. Hmm. And they leave, you know, the people, the public, mm. um, in trouble. So what they did with power, especially in New South Wales, is, oh, no, you can't do that. So we're going to give you, we're going to pay you more than a dollar for every dollar you spend making sure your infrastructure is kept up to snuff. So what did they do? They gold-plated their infrastructure. And that's not for the benefit of the people. No. No, that's not a public service they're doing. They're doing that because they're a private company. 
and and they quite well. It's, it's it's part of the stupidity of it. Um, they go well. Yeah, of course we did that. Yeah, of course we rotted the system because we're a corporation. You set it up that we'd make more money by doing useless stuff that didn't need to be done. So we just did it mm. because that's how we made the money. And then they go, yeah, fair enough, done. But you go, but that's not that's not the best thing for the people of Australia. And they go, yeah, no, 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 we don't care about the people no, of Australia. You shouldn't we're, have privatised it. You then. shouldn't have privatised <laughs> it. Um, it's, it's this strange, strange logic. It goes round and round in circles. Mm, they call us radical. Yeah. And this is a big one. This this is what I, I actually blame Kenneth for this. Every time you privatise a public service in Australia. That private corporation can then say, we're not going to tell you where the money goes. We're not going to tell you how much we pay for this or how much for that because all of that information they will say is commercial in confidence. Mm. Kenneth did this. If someone is going to, a corporation is going to deal with a public service and provide it as a private company, there must be no commercial in confidence provisions when taking any public money. I would have thought that's 101. Mm. But that's not what we do in Australia, and that's what they're saying we should do. That's just an obvious one. Hmm. They also recommend that if a service is to be privatised, governments must set a fixed tender price that ensures cost is removed from the decision process, and tenderers are competing on the basis of quality. This prevents it being a race to the bottom. And when privatisation occurs, the new provider must, as a minimum, maintain the same employment conditions and standards as the government services it replaced. Wow. That's their recommendations. Mm, and, of course, there's a whole series of others. They have, of course, to still be uh, equal opportunity employers. For instance, if you want to privatise something, like a hospital, for instance, um, and then it gets funded by taxpayers' money. So my money goes to the private religious hospital, like Vinnie's around the corner or something like that. And so, good, that's fine, no worries. Um, can I go to Vinnie's to get family planning advice? Can I go to St Vincent's Hospital and say, well, look, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble with my contraception um, and it's it, making me have more hormones and I've got some problems? Um, they'll say, no, 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 you have to go somewhere else. We're not going to deal with that because that is ethically beyond the bounds of our religious... Even though it's taxpayer funded? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. So we're, we're funding yes. discrimination? Yes, yes. So what's new? Yeah, so, so what's new? And what they're saying is, no, we, we've got to stop that. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, code of ethics and other codes of practice must be um, secular. Yeah, it <laughs> be mean, universal. And, and also equal opportunity employers. Totally. So no, we can't employ you because um, uh, your sexuality is offensive to my religion, even though I'm being funded by taxpayers' government. Yeah. Um, and such like and so forth. You just can't do that. Um, but you can at the moment. Mm. Um, what they're saying is that all these things have changed. It's very interesting. If you're interested, and there are more recommendations, it does go on a great deal. Um, it does go on a great deal. I, we can't spend all our time here on this show doing it, but if you are interested, please check us out at the website. All this information for the People's Inquiry into Privatisation Report is available in press release 723 on our website at the DOGS website at www.adogs.info. We shall return... Um, we shall return after these messages. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. 
Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary They're School. really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got vis- physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long don't necessarily start off with a Positive great deal. relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Yeah, that, that was our very long and interesting press release um, about privatisation. Um, I was, yeah, I was thinking back on what I was saying about millennials. I wasn't actually being patronising. I'm saying. <laughs> I'm sure many of the people listening to the Dogs Program who are younger are deeply informed and who know about history mm. and, and who inform themselves about the history of what's going on, in, certainly in terms of education, but much, much more broadly than that because dogs listeners are very well informed. Um, it's just the problem is if you're of a certain age, it's not part of your lived experience. Mm. And I just think that's a little bit tragic. You've grown up, been forced to grow up in a dog-eat-dog world where the generation before you, the baby boomers in particular, pretty much did not have to. They had a hand at time. If I was young today, I'd be really annoyed. Hmm. On, and on your behalf, because I'm not young, I, all I can do is be annoyed on your behalf. <laughs> I can sympathise but not empathise. Hmm. Bugger. But anyway, let's, let's get back into the nitty-gritty of defending education. There's a massively fascinating article um, in The Age written last week, which I think gets to the point about the micro, the micro sort of moral politics of private education hmm. versus public education. And... Um, it's a sort of article you would never have seen in the mainstream press before, but Monica Ducks for the Fairfax Media has actually written an article that I think is seminal. I think it's a turning point that an article like this gets published in a mainstream newspaper. Dale's going to share with us about what's going on at the Fairfax. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, um, Monica Ducks has uh, written a great article. Uh, it was in The Age on the 27th of October. It's entitled, Jellied Spines Rule as Tax Dollars Prop Up the Privileged. From private schools to negative gearing, inequality thrives. A few years ago, I attended a party where a woman was boasting about the spectacular fireworks display her daughter's private school held as part of their school fate. I listened to her story, getting more and more annoyed, before finally interrupting to point out that my son's state school was so overcrowded that they'd been using the library as a classroom. When I finished my outburst, she looked at me oddly, and then continued with her fireworks rave, unabashed, as if I hadn't spoken. So what if my daughter's school has money to burn, or at least to blow up, the fireworks woman seemed to be thinking. If you choose to send your your son to a school where grade four class resembles a free-range chicken barn, then that's your problem, not mine. 
I have no objection to private schools. I just don't like subsidising their fireworks displays. Ditto their boat sheds, state-of-the-art sporting complexes and school camps to the French Alps. I believe that public money should be reserved exclusively for public schools, equally available to all, regardless of wealth, privilege or circumstance. And so I've chosen not to send my kids to a private school. I use the word chose here because I did actually have a choice. I could send them if I wanted to. It would be financially stressful, but I could probably make it work. My kids have no special needs, so I don't have to worry about gaining access to extra support. I live in the inner city, in an increasingly affluent area, where the local high school has a reputation for academic excellence. If I really needed to, I could move to a different public school zone to find a school that better suited them. Being able to act on my political principles without real consequence is one of the many things that privilege gives me, the luxury of righteousness. But I'd be disingenuous if I didn't admit that I'd reverse my decision in a moment if the benefits of private education greatly outweighed the negatives. Because in the end, I'll do what's best for my kids. Would that make me a hypocrite? Perhaps, but I certainly wouldn't be alone. I know many parents who are critical of Australia's school funding model, yet still send their children to private schools. If challenged, they generally justify their decision on the grounds that even if they had sent their kids to an overcrowded, underfunded state school as a form of conscientious objection, they wouldn't be making any difference to the overall system. So why sacrifice their children's education in an ineffective political statement? Of course, this logic doesn't just apply to schools. Many of us hold progressive political views yet still benefit from the structural inequality in our society, even as we voice our opposition to that inequality. Take negative gearing, for example. I believe it should be abolished, yet if I did own an investment property, I don't doubt that I would negatively gear it. After all, it's legal, everyone else is doing it, and me boycotting it won't make a bit of difference to anything other than my bank account. On a recent Facebook thread, someone compared the debate about school funding in Australia to the gun controversy, gun control controversy in America. In some respects, it's an astute comparison in that both countries suffer a kind of myopia on these respective issues. State-funded inequality in education has become so entrenched in Australia that unravelling the system seems an impossible task, just like achieving gun control in the U.S., There's also a tremendous amount of tribalism around both issues. In Australia, parents argue among themselves, sometimes bitterly, defending and justifying their choices, all of which plays into the hands of those in power because it skews the debate towards personal choice and the decisions made by individual parents, thereby obscuring the structural problems that enable this inequality in the first place. Of course, there have been moments in history when mass mass action by ordinary people has made an impact on political policy. But I doubt that this is such a case. Like gun control in the US, reform of our ludicrous education funding policies will only be achieved with bold leadership by a government that's willing to risk political damage in order to do what is right. Sadly, our governments, both Liberal and Labor, have been failing miserably on this issue for nearly half a century, and with the current crop of jellied spines that we call Parliament, it's hard to see how anything will change anytime soon. Wow. Wow. Yep. 
I'm just really pleased that my whole meme about education in Australia being like gun control in America has finally taken off. Yeah. It's finally hit the mainstream because that, cause that it's not just an astute comparison. It's, it's an accurate comparison. Mm. Yeah, it's just the way we do things around here. I have to send my child to private school because, yeah, well, you know, I've, I wouldn't love it. It's the way it's done around here. Yeah, it's the way it's always been. No, got, it's not. I've got to have an open carry law to carry my Smith & Weston pistol on my hip because that's just the way it's done. And if I don't carry a gun, then someone's going to shoot me or, or something. Or, no, you know, if, I, if, you, if you try and stop me from doing this, then I then you're... You're infringing on my liberties, and yeah. you know, kind of, it's a strange mix-up. Yeah. yeah, like the freedom and choice being the same thing. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's all a bit weird. Oh, then we get that 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 neoliberal conflation where freedom and, and choice are, are the same thing. Mm, In mm. fact, freedom to choose is is a greater than the freedom to. To be educated, you know, the, the, not freedom to be educated. I mean, freedom to be the right to be educated. Yeah, yeah. The right for every person to to achieve their potential, rather than oh yeah, well other kids that's not so much. Yeah. So so yeah, the way it's set up, your freedom to choose mm-hmm. is more important than children's right to learn. Yep, yep. And they will say, but it's not a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just I'm just making a little decision. I can't change anything. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> Um, well, I tell you what, you're wrong. Mm. You can change something. We're doing it here. And there's another group of people called City Schools for City Kids who are an amazing bunch of people who basically they've moved to the city because all those flats you see from a distance, yep, they've all got people in them and all those people are family. Well, not all of them, but it's families and the families have got kids and the kids have got to go to... Yep. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. The state, state schools. schools school are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. School of the week. This week is Docklands Primary, which doesn't actually exist yet, but it's gonna, and it really is gonna. <laughs> Because what's happened is all these people have made all these lovely children which they love very much and they want to send them to a school. And there's a lot, and there are schools in the city, but guess what? They're private schools. Hmm. Haileybury College has just opened up. There's kids going there, but smart people. Yes, city schools for city kids. No, 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 no. I, no, no. I demand as a citizen my right to a state school, access to a state school. Now, there's a couple around. There's Errol Street, which we've spoken about before, which is bursting at the seams. Mm. They've got double-decker portables. There's more kids. I mean, it really is chicken farm stuff, and they're doing a great job. But you know what? Just built another one. In fact, there are lots of school sites all there. Wa- oh, no, hang on. They're not waiting because Kenneth sold them all. Mm. <laughs> there are all these wonderful school sites around uh, central Melbourne um, in the 90s, which Kenneth sold off to various people, including the Salvation Army, just by the way, West Melbourne Primary School. They've all gone, so you can't do those. So they've got to build a new one. Oh, well. Onwards and upwards, city schools f- for city kids said, no, nah, we want one, we want two, we want three, we want four. We want a state school. We deserve a state school. If you're not, we're not going to vote for anyone. We're going to line the streets and embarrass you. And they did, and they succeeded. Never, ever, ever doubt. <laughs> you see, the power of a grumpy parent, <laughs> the power of grumpy parents put together saying, we demand a school, is more powerful. It's actually more powerful than, people, than, than what you heard about in Monica's article, which is, oh, I don't care. If you don't love your children, send them to a state school. I send my child to a private school. I sacrifice. You know, those ideas are powerful, and, and Monica is right, but more powerful is when parents get together and say, oh, no, 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 we want a school for our kids. 
here because this is where we live. We've chosen to live in this place. We're allowed to choose to live in this place. So we want a school to educate our children. No, not a private one, public school. So they got one. It actually happened earlier in the year, so this is, this is sort of old news. But it's actually on the corner of Footscray Road and Little Docklands Drive. There's going to be a state, a state primary school. The money has already been transferred from the um, Development Victoria to the Victoria School Building Authority. It's already been and done. Unfortunately, it will be built as a privatisation contract, but you know, it's going to get built anyway. It's going to have almost 500 kids, which is good. Prep to year six, primary school, and it will be a vertical school. First one, not first one, but one of the very few ones in Australia. So the school will be like the pe- where, the, where the people live. It'll be a vertical school. It'll be over three to five levels and it's going to make best use of the open space that it has because there's so many kids. Now they've run community engagement programs, they've held meetings and it's all actually now going ahead. But the city schools for city kids are going to come back to this. Um, it's, this school does not solve the problem. The school is the beginning of the solution and they're not stopping there. They're saying, okay, that's one, where's the next one? Because once, once 500 kids or 475 or 500 kids end up in that school, they're going to need another one and another one, another one. Whose responsibility is it to build the new state school? It's the government's. Now the government would love private providers to come in and provide private schools, but these parents will not be tricked. These parents know something. They know each other and they know, say, well, if I send my child to school with your child, we all know each other. We're all, we're all friends. Actually, let's just do this because the government should provide us with this as rights. And, and it's like turning back the clock 40 years. In the Docklands, when it comes to education, people are getting together to solve these problems. Now, I can't tell you about the plan results, <laughs> and I can't tell you about the school's culture, but I can tell you the school, school's culture, was, it was born from fire. This campaign to set up the school did not happen overnight. They didn't give the minister a call and say, can we have a school, please? The minister went, yeah, all right. That's not the way it happened. It went, it went for many, many years, and it's still going now because the primary function actually will be of a school, but it's going to be part of a whole community infrastructure, and they'd like the way to find out how this public school can be utilised before school, after school, and on weekends. They're already thinking about, no, 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 the school is now the centre of our community. Mm. Now, I know a lot of people get down on Docklands. Um, I do myself, truth to tell. <laughs> I've been walking around there. It's, it's like a, it's like a, like a war. It's like some strange post-apocalyptic war, <laughs> war zone sometimes, with the wind blowing and no people on the streets. So how do you solve that problem? Really simple. Build a school. Yeah, kids. When they come to school, when they go to school, that's how you actually create a community. And they've worked that out themselves. So we would like this place to be a better place for us to live. How do we do that? Let's have a school. School makes everything better in a place like Docklands. And so that's why it's a great school, because it's being conceived from fire, conceived from the fires of protest, which have won. They force the politicians to listen to them, just with this first school, and I'm sure there will be more. And this is, this is like old school activism. But what are they fighting for? They're fighting not just for the right to their children to have a state school education, but they're fighting to have a proper community and they understand that in a country town or in a suburb, the school, a state school, is the centre of that. You know, back in the bushfires in, in the late, late 2000s, it was a school where everyone went. It was the principal people listened to. Do you know what I mean? That's what state schools are. They're not for-profit things, no. 
No, they are integrated into the community. So even though I can't give you any numbers or details or facts or, or enrolments or, or can't even get a parent on saying how wonderful it is because it doesn't exist yet, I think a school born from fire with the idea that it's the centre of a community makes this school, even before it's opened, Docklands Primary School, our great state school for the week. Palestine National Day is being celebrated on November the 15th, 5pm at Federation Square. Join us as we raise the Palestinian flag. Hear Palestinian youth sing the Palestinian National Anthem. Palestinian band 48 will perform traditional and resistance music. Join our dance and dubkey crew and enjoy Palestinian food and culture in this family event. See you there. Palestine National Day, November 15th, 5pm at Federation Square. Be there. Celebrate International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival. Featuring over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones, come and try different modified sports and watch a disabled water skiing demonstration. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. Friday the 1st of December from 10am to 3pm at Crown Riverwalk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Hello, yeah, well, you're, you're listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial and WWWs on the World Wide Web's podcast on th- from the 3CR website or indeed links from the Dogs website. Um, however you got here to my dulcet tones, you're very welcome. Um, I promised you for regular listeners that we'd have our regular roving reporter, Jean, um, who's still out there in the, in the wild real world, doing some research for us here at the Dogs Program. And she's been doing some research, as I promised I'd tell you, on Mr Birmingham, our Federal Education Minister, and what he's doing up there. I suspect Mr Birmingham is a bit frustrated. <laughs> and I think Jean's going to fill, fill us on a, on a few details. Hello, Jean. Birmingham didn't realise what a potential scandal-ridden department he was going to be on top of because their facts and figures, particularly for state aid, for many, many years have been completely out of kilter. Now, uh, Julia Gillard, also from South Australia, did him a favour, I suppose, and did us all a favour, by having the My School website so that we can actually see what kind of uh, actual direct grants uh, public money are going to almost every school in Australia. Although we can't be absolutely certain that the uh, private schools are telling uh, exactly uh, the truth since they aren't really audited uh, very thoroughly as the Auditor General uh, uh, admits uh, in his various uh, uh, statements over the years. However, Mr. Birmingham, as well as setting up a two-point Nortgonski, has set up a thing called a National School Resourcing Board. And one wonders just exactly why he has done this and who's on it. Now, this National School Resourcing Board is supposed to provide greater independent oversight over Commonwealth school funding. Interesting. 
It's going to undertake reviews of different parts of the funding model under the Australian Education Act 2013, and the reviews will help ensure public confidence in the funding model and ensure that states, territories and other approved authorities comply with their obligations under the Act. So one wonders whether or not they've got a little bit of um, a carrot and a stick uh, involved here. Now the first review is going to consider how socioeconomic status, the SES scores, are calculated and the way in which a non-government school's capacity to contribute to the running costs of their school is assessed. So we might actually find out a little bit about the extraordinary endowments and private um, resources of a lot of the really wealthy schools, Robert. The second review is going to focus on the loading, which delivers additional funding for students with a disability because you might have noticed that the whole disability funding when it gets to private schools has become a bit sus too. (laughs) So he's reacting to the reactions of people who want a little bit of transparency in state aid funding uh, in this way. Now, over time, we're told that the reviews undertaken by the board will help to ensure the funding model is using the best available data and methodologies, as well as making sure funding's used in line with the Act. So there you are, who set up a board, but who's on it? Is it stat? Yeah, who's, well, who's, 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 who's working around making decisions? Well, um, when you set up these boards, whether it was the First Schools Commission or whether it's Gonski, you always look at who's on it, because um, if you've got private school people with public school people, then usually the private school people have got the numbers or they really demand that uh, in the process of being civil, the state school people give in to them. I've seen this again and again over the years. And this is no exception. Who is the chairman? The chairman is Mr Bill Bill Daniels, AM. Now, Mr Bill Daniels will be well known to dogs people because over the years he was the Executive Director of the Independent Schools Council of Australia from 2001 to 2015 and he's often appeared in the papers taking the Independent Schools line. So he is the Chairman, so he'll be able to say what's in and what's out at certain points. The next person on the uh, group is a guy called Professor Stephen Lamb. And I can't find out where he went to school or whether he's even Australian. But he's the director of the Centre for International Research on Education Systems at Victoria University. And he's written some very interesting uh, material on children who are school early school leavers and how they are behind the eight ball economically when they don't get a good schooling opportunity. So here's an interesting person. Professor Ken Smith, I can't find out where he went to school, but he's an out-and-out public service apparatchik. So I don't think we'll expect a dissenting report from him. Dr Alison Taylor is a demographer. And she's from the University of Queensland, but she served on the Queensland Non-State Schools Accreditation Board and the Funding Eligibility Committee. 
So I'd say that she's um, she's not going to uh, stick her neck out for public schools. Dr. Michael Cheney is a very interesting one. He's currently the Chancellor of the University of Western Australia. He attended Aquinas College and he's the son of Fred Cheney, whom dogs people would remember from way back with the Menzies government. Uh, he's a geologist and amongst other things. I really don't know why he's on, on the committee at all. He doesn't appear to be an educationist of any uh, great note. The deputy chair is a lady called Denise Bradley, who uh, is a University of Sydney graduate from 1962, and she's been around a long time, mainly talking about the education of girls. Um, and she did teach, I think, in state secondary schools in New South Wales to begin with. So she has some kind of state school background. Then you've got the Associate Professor, Natalie Brown, who's the Director of the Peter Underwood Centre for Educational Attainment um, and a plant scientist from the University of Tasmania. But she was a high school teacher and uh, she went to Smithton High School, or she taught at Smithton High School, and she was educated in Launceston. She's an interesting one. And then finally... You've got Professor Greg Caven, who is the Australian Catholic University uh, uh, Vice Chancellor and President. So um, you've got one, two, uh, three, at least three people who are died in the wall, uh, independent school, private school, Catholic school people. And you've got one, two, um, three, four, five, who are questionable. It's a very interesting group, and we'll see what they come up with, because Mr Birmingham has got some very, very, very big problems when it comes to transparency and accountability for billions and billions of dollars of public money. Big problems indeed, and they've been uh, churning away there for over 50, 60 years. So I wouldn't want to be in uh, Mr Birmingham's shoes and it's very interesting to see what he's trying to do about it. Mm -hmm. So that's all I've got to say on that. Are you interested in anything else I've got to say? Oh, well, always, Jean, always. Because you've been, you've been sitting there roving around reporting and researching and, and doing all sorts of things. What, what, what else has struck your mind in, in the last week? Well, I've been on favour in England. Because Australia usually looks at what England's doing and follows them and makes a mess of it. Because England's pretty good at making messes. The UK is pretty good at making educational messes. And we tend and we tend um, to make them. Um, we tend to make them just after they finish too, don't we? Same ones. Ten, ten years later, yeah, yeah, we're pretty good at it. Uh, this is because if if you work in policy and legislation in the education department. If you want to get something through, you usually have to say, oh, it's been tired, tried and tested somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You can't get a new idea up just out of the, out of, out of the blue, unfortunately. Mm. And what a lot of people do is go to England or America and, um, the, the latest might be then going, but uh, by the time it gets through, they've made a mess of it. Now, as we all know, England is still a class-ridden society. 
there have been attempts to make it more equal over the years and the comprehensive um, state system of education did have some results. But all the same, as in Australia, and this is a sad thing because in Australia we tried to be, certainly in the 19th and 20th century, a bit different from England with its um, so-called aristocratic uh, class structure. But in, in England, we're now finding out that the who's who study over there that the Guardian has done sheds new light on the power of the old boy network. Analysis of 120 years of data in who's who shows that those who went to the top public schools, and they're the top private schools, of course, in England, are 94 times more likely to be in the United Kingdom's elite. And uh, you find out that this is an enduring power of the Old Boys Network, which has been laid bare by a study that found that the alumni from nine leading schools are 94 times more likely to reach the elite than those who attended other schools. So it's a very interesting study indeed. And uh, you also have the voices of the 1%. How do Britain's highest learners feel about their income. So um, uh, you've got a lot of very interesting material in The Guardian. If you look at The Guardian UK, some of it, of course, comes through to Australia. But it's a very sad... uh, It's a sad uh, commentary, I think, on British society. Well, I think think it's a particularly sad comment potentially on Australian society because I don't think quite the same is true. I think we're trying to... I think we're getting there in terms of, you know, if you could name nine schools in Australia and then work out, you know, the political elites indeed who, who came from those particular schools, we're getting, but we're not Our quite there. The but I think the problem is that the assumption is that's what the people sending those kids to those schools are trying to create. They say, we're not there at an aristocracy yet, but give us a generation. And that's what the dogs are fighting that's one yes, of the reasons well, why we're fighting. But, Jean, I'm afraid well, we've come to the end of the program. But if you, if you have one, one more comment about, about, your, about your musings and ministrations. Well, I, the more I read, the more I realise how important it is that we do keep fighting for a public system which is free, which is secular and open to all children. Um, it is one of the most important institutions in our society and it is just so important that we continue to fight for it for the next generation. Nothing is set in stone. People say to me, oh, it's not possible. Well, I don't know about that. When someone tells me that something is oh. not possible, yeah. I, I'm a great believer that you always try to do How things How can you impossible. say it's not possible? It makes life yeah, so easy. Yeah. When Australia is just unique in its vague stupidity when it comes to this particular question. Other countries in the world just say, it's possible. You can just look across the borders of Australia to any, pretty much anywhere else in the world and go, you see? you see? It doesn't have to be this way. Kind of like, as and I said before, gun laws in the United States. Way for the last few years. Indeed, it's, it's indeed. Was, we, we had 80 years where it was possible and look, look at all of our achievements. Yes. We need to look at our history to move forward into the future. But 
Thank you very much for putting up with our packed program today, dear listeners. We'll be back again, of course, next week because things are starting to heat up and move forward. We will be continuing as we do the struggle and the fight because it needs to be because public education, as is so obvious, still needs to be defended. Um, if you're interested in what we've been talking about, myself, Dale and Jean, you can get hold of us, of course, at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. And if you're inspired to give the radio station a call and say, hey, I know a great state school, um, we'd love to hear from you. So please give us a call at the station on 0394198377 or indeed you can just go to the website. Um, www.3cr.org.au and uh, contact us, contact the Dogs Program through there. Love to hear from you because state schools are great schools and the more schools we highlight, the happier we are. But until next week, from Dale, Jean and myself, it's bye for now.